This is The Jason Jones Show, powered by Mudhouse Media. Now, here's Jason Jones. Aloha, everybody, and welcome to The Jason Jones Show. I am your host, Jason Jones, broadcasting from the beautiful yet cold hill country of Texas. And first of all, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, not just from me, but from the Mudhouse Media team and from all of us, all of those who work with me at the Vulnerable People Project. We want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And a brief thank you. Our Cold for Christmas campaign was a success. And over the past week or so, we have delivered um, four months' supplies of food and coal to thousands of vulnerable ethnic and religious minorities across Afghanistan, across Afghanistan. And in a large part, that is thanks to the Jason Jones Show audience. Um, so it would be strange and rude of me not to thank you, first and foremost, for that. Um, but I didn't want to kick off the new year with a show on one of those heavy topics. I wanted to do a show for you. And, um, you know, one of the reasons why people found uh, start podcasts is so they can lure their heroes into hour-long conversations. People who would otherwise not give them an hour of their time. That's what I might just name change the name of the show to. Jason Jones lures people he admires into long, meandering conversations the show, um, because that's kind of what I did today. One of my heroes um, is the great Boss Rutten. He is a Dutch-American actor and mixed martial artist. He is, to me, the Muhammad Ali of MMA. He's a pioneer. Um, he is uh, bold and beautiful and wonderful. Man, that's just cheesy what I just said there, but he is. He's someone I greatly admire, and you can tell that I'm nervous throughout the entire interview because I didn't want to botch it. I prepared for this interview and there was so much I wanted to ask him. And because I did such a horrible job, you're going to, I think I eventually asked him pretty much everything I wanted to ask him, but you're going to have to listen to the entire show to get all of the nuggets. Okay. I'm not Charlie Rose and Charlie Rose has been canceled. So you can't even listen to Charlie Rose if you wanted to. I don't think Charlie Rose has MMA stars. I don't think he has MMA legends on his show. I don't think he did before he was canceled, but I do. And Boss Rutten, if you know who Boss Rutten is, you're like, Jason Jones got Boss Rutten on the Jason Jones show? Unbelievable. And if you don't know who Boss Rutten is, this is someone you really need to know. So the idea of the show was, this is a very ordered, disciplined man. And I am not. And those of us who are going into the new year, we always make these resolutions and how we're going to order our year. Well, I saw a video uh, several years ago on how Boss Rudin orders his day. He begins it, um, by the way, with a rosary, ends it with, um, among other things, and ends it with um, an examination of conscience and everything in between. And I thought, this is the guy I want to talk to about how to order my year. Also, he has this, this product that he invented called the O2 Trainer. One of the things Boss Rutten was known for is, you know, this guy has stamina. And who knew he has battled asthma his entire life. And he has this device, the O2 Trainer. Well, this is where I'm selfish. 
I've, after getting COVID pneumonia several months ago, my lungs, my breathing has just been really wrecked. And when I go to the gym, I get tired in the warm up. I get tired. I used to jump rope. I could jump rope an hour and not break a sweat. Now I get my, I, I start gasping for air and my, and like six minutes into jump roping. So I thought I want to talk to Boss Rutten about his O2 trainer. By the way, information on the O2 trainer is in the show notes, and I want you to join me. I'm going to do this for a year and see how it improves my stamina and my endurance. Um, also, you know, I think nowadays we know we got to take care of our lungs. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk to the great Boss Rutten about his career as a fighter about his Catholic, his conversion to Catholicism or his reversion to Catholicism, how to order our life, and the O2 trainer. Um, this episode is being brought to you, as always, by the Vulnerable People Project, standing with the most vulnerable people in the world during their greatest challenges. Go to thegreatcampaign.org and check out what we are doing there. And as always, my pillow. By the way, 3,000 of you bought pillows uh, after the last episode, I got a note from the sales rep saying, your audience really likes Mike Lindell. I said, we love Mike Lindell, but more importantly, we love a good night's sleep, and there is nothing like the pillow, the Giza Dream Sheets, these wonderful slippers, which I promise you I have on my feet right now. Why do I have them on my feet? I don't know, because it's like, you know, I'm in my office, but my feet are in the presidential suite of the Trump Hotel. Uh, with these slippers on, and uh, yeah, we love we love a good product. We love we like Mike Lindell, but it's not about Mike Lindell. It's about the pillows, the sheets, the mattress toppers, the slippers. I'm not wearing a bathrobe, but he's got bathrobes. You might be a bathrobe person. I am not, and um, yeah. So that's who has brought you this show. But now, on to my interview with the great. And wonderful, the legendary Boss Rutten on the Jason Jones Show. Aloha, Boss Rutten. Welcome to the Jason Jones Show. Hey, happy to be here, my friend. Oh no, no, no! <laughs> I'm I'm nervous. I'm talking to my hero, the the legend, the great Boss Rutten, and um, it's a privilege to have you with us today. I really appreciate this, Jason. Thank you so much. And, and and I love you for all the work you do, the great work that you're doing. Well, to have you as a friend, as someone I can share with what I'm doing, and, and you give me encouragement, it means the world to me. And uh, even when I started the show, you were, I made a list of 20 guests that I wanted to have on, and you were on that original list of the top 20 dream guests I would have. And I wanted to have you as my first show of the year, because I saw a video several years ago, and it was a video, A Day in the Life of Boss Rutten. And what struck me about this day in the life of Boss Rutten was how ordered it was. And it, I aspired to like do that day every day, but I very rarely do. <laughs> but it gave, <laughs> it gave me something to aspire to. And what I loved about that video was um, what you said, but there were things that you demonstrated without really talking about but people could pick up on do you know what i'm talking about do you remember that yeah video? yeah yeah. yes i know exactly what video this is we're in the morning when i start stretching and they go over everything you know 
the meditation. And then you see me doing a rosary. I'm not really telling it, but I'm doing it while I'm stretching. You know, just, uh, you know, try to connect with every person. You know, how, however you want to meditate, that's up to you. But I think if we all would do it, as said, still for a moment and give time to yourself. I think we could change the world, you know, because uh, we're getting out of bed, right? And we jump on the phone and we start, you know, that, that's the thing that I cannot do because if I look at one text message, I already forget about um, a meditation. That's gone because, you know, that message is in your head. So you got to leave your phone off and just immediately start. And if you have, like, for instance, this morning I was up at five. Then I do, it's, it's better prayers and meditation. A quarter to six, I drive to the gym. Before six, I'm there. I turn on the, the sauna. I start doing my auto trainer, my lung training, my breathing muscles first. Then I do a workout. Then I go jump in the sauna. In the sauna, I do a rosary together with the stretching. You see, and then I come out, and then I'm home at 7.30, and I'm already, I did a lot of work, you know. And then the whole day has to, people are still in bed, but I'm already did everything that I wanted to do, and now my day starts. And you're there for your family. So you've done 100%. this all before they even woke up. That's it, 100%, yeah. You know, and normally if, I'm, if my daughter starts, like, for instance, at working at 8, because this morning was at 7, but otherwise at 8, you know, I probably make breakfast even. You know, I go walk with the dog at nine because it's when the other dogs are in the dog park. So I freed up my home. This is what I tell people. Once I get back to the space, it freed up me up so much more. They go, how's that possible? Because you're spending so much time on it. I say, yeah, but, you know, I did the Exodus 90. You know, you heard about that, right? I did, It's yeah. like a, a land on steroids, so to say. There's two fasting days. You can only use cold showers. You can be on your computer, your TV, on, the, on, the, on your phone, only for business. You know, and then suddenly you realize, oh, wow, I'm wasting a lot of time on social media, on zapping through stories that are mindless. They, they, they don't teach you anything. Why not grabbing a good book and learn something? You know, so when I did that for 90 days, I was like blown away. I mean, I, it freed me up so much because now I, I knew what is more important. And it's not being online and, and zapping through stories on Instagram. No, yeah, that Exodus ninety. The hardest part. The hardest part for me was just the cold showers. It was hard for me when I lived in Hawaii. Now I live in yeah. Texas, and it's you know Texas people are in the north are laughing because it doesn't get cold in Texas. But even in Texas, the cold showers is really challenging. But I loved how you you started the day with the rosary. You didn't say it. You demonstrated it while you were stretching, and then you ended the day with an examination of conscience. But you explained it in sort of a you know a, a way that just the normal guy on the street would understand. Yeah, but, you know, you go over your day. It's, everybody should do this. You know, what did I do right today? You know, can I make it more right? Can I do it better? You know, because it's never perfect. Why not striving for excellence, right? Magnanimity. That's what we want to do. What did I do bad? You know, how can I make sure that I don't do that anymore, that I don't fall in that same thing? Like this, once I started doing that and I applied it to alcohol and drugs and things that I used to do, I mean, it was so easy for me to, oh, so easy, it's never easy, but it was much easier to cut out because you, you realize you don't want to go to bed with a, a bad feeling. Because if you broke one of those rules, you know, okay, now I can do it tomorrow again. And, and this, this is us. You know, we, we're, we're people, we're, we do it tomorrow. We hit the snooze button. That's why I call it when I do these talks, you know. Oh, tomorrow I'm going to work out. And then tomorrow you wake up and you're a little, you know, don't feel so good. You hit the snooze button and then boom. You to the next day. I'm going to do it the next day. You know, the amount of times that I woke up in the morning and I told myself I was not going to drink anymore. I mean, if that's 150 times, I don't even know, think I'm exaggerating, you know, but you have to stop doing that. And once you stop it, 
it's hard in the beginning, but then the second day is a little easier. And, and maybe the first three, four days are all hard, but then it becomes easier. And slowly but surely, you get out of it. You know, you stop hitting that stupid snooze button. And then once you stop it for a while, now it's much easier to control. Still, you're never out of it. And even if you change that bad habit into a good habit, always understand that as easy as it is to acquire a bad habit, uh, a good habit, that's how easy it is to go back into the bad habit. So you have to stick with it. And that's what I'm, you know, what you see, it's what I do. It's like people, I've been doing a rosary since 2015. May 2015, they told me it's a really good thing to do. And then people go, actually, okay, how many times did you miss one? Never. How many times do you, when you go overseas and you're praising your meditation, how many times you miss that? Never. What do you mean? I might miss my stretching one time, but I will always do that. It's something that I don't break. And once you don't break a habit, you just keep doing it. I did this at fighting, and it helped me a lot. So you took those those skills that you had as a fighter, and you just applied it to being excellent at life. I, you know, something you said that struck me, you walk your dog at nine because that's when the other dogs are out. So you're even being thoughtful of your dog. Like, this is when my dog would want to go for a walk. So... This is what yeah. I should do. I, it's not what's convenient for me. It's you're even thinking thoughtful of your dog. Yeah, because if I come home, I would love to do it right away, but then he can't play with other dogs. And this dog has been a project because we had six dog coaches. Nobody, they, they, <laughs> the final guy was $250 now. I mean, like a famous dude. And, and he goes after the fourth class. He says, I don't think we can fix this dog. He says, I've never met. This dog was beaten when he was young. So we, when we uh, rescued it, it's, it's a super nice dog to us, but boy, somebody comes in the house, he sees it as an attack, and it's little fear, you know, he will poop. Uh, not anymore now, because he starts coming. So I spend a lot of time with this dog, because you give him a lot of love, because violence never works, and a lot of love against a dog like that. So we became very close. So yeah, I always want him to play with the other dog, so he has a good time. So now here, there, you order your, your, now all of us are looking to order our year, and um, I've read that most people forget their New Year's resolution by the second week of January. So that means many of us are getting ready to forget those commitments we made. You, you have not missed a rosary since um, Jan, uh, May of 2015. I wish I could say that. And yeah. um, how do you order your year? Do you put this t same type of thoughtfulness into structuring your year as you do your day? No, I do that. I do day by day, but I, I do know that if I'm if I'm complete, I do everything that I want in the morning. Then my mind simply works the best, you know. And and for me to do that, I can get drunk the day before. I can do what whatever I want to do. I have to watch out. You see, so it puts me, it takes keeps me in line, so to say. And that's that's why I'm doing it. So for the year, I don't have anything. Just <laughs> this is weird. What I'm saying, I'm feeling I'm really good in control right now. I'm doing a good job for the last six, seven years. I've been constantly, you know, doing the same thing. And I know that, you know, I can always fall back and I watch out for that. But, uh, yeah, so that I don't have to change in that. Now it's all these little tiny things that you have to change. That's what I say, you know, when you go to a confession, the big sins, they're easy not to commit anymore. It's the small little things, the pride things. And people go, oh, it's prideful. No, I'm not talking about, hey, man, I'm boss. I'm a Ford. I've worked here. I'm not talking about that kind of pride. I'm talking about pride being in, an, in a car and somebody cuts you up and getting angry. That is pride. And you know how I found out that it was pride? Because a friend of mine was one time driving and somebody cut him off and he gets angry and I'm telling him, I say, dude, relax. 
You know, it's just an idiot. And then I, I stopped. He goes, what? I go, oh, my God. He goes, what? I go, dude, I, it's pride. I see it as a personal attack because right now when you, it happens to you, I don't care. So, okay. So you see it. Then once you start thinking about those things, well, there's a lot of cleaning up to do. You hold the door open for somebody. They don't thank you. If you get angry, that's pride. You know, how dare that person? What? But if you don't do it just because it's the right thing to do, you're not doing it out of love, right? So you do it for a thank you. You see, so once I start seeing all those things, I start cleaning those up. But those things are the hardest because you've been doing it wrong your entire life. And now you want to fix it within a couple of years. And they, blind, they blindside you, right? You're not prepared. It's, it's, you can prepare yourself. I'm going, you're going to a dinner party with someone you don't like. You're, like, you're going to prepare yourself to be thoughtful and charitable. And but when someone veers and almost cuts you, cuts you off in traffic or steals your parking place and you're like, you know, what? I was waiting for that parking spot. I, I never thought of that as an example of pride, which means I, I've, I've been missing a lot in confession. <laughs> because I never, I never thought about that as a sin. I just never even thought about it. Because like you said, it's so much a part of who we are, right? Every time, I, whenever someone emails me, like the work we do with my organization, and they'll say what a saint I am, I'm like, oh, I hope they never cut me off in traffic. They'll, they'll realize <laughs> yeah. when I follow them home, you know, they'll realize, oh, that guy's oh. not quite a saint, that guy. Dude, I, I gave you a crazy example. So I'm, um, I just uh, was at a, at a fight for my, uh, a student of mine. Close to this guy, it's his first pro fight. In the dressing room, we go over these things, and what do you know, whatever we went over in the dressing room, he finishes the guy in the first round. His father was there. You know, everything was good, great. I drank a beer. I said, want another beer? I drank another beer. And then I want another beer. I go, you know what? I'm out because I know exactly how this is going to go. I'm too happy right now, and, and I don't want to drink and drive. So I drive home. So I'm driving home. And while I'm driving home, I go, hey, let's do a rosary. And I start doing a rosary. Now there's a car in front of me and I want to pass him. And apparently I didn't look good enough. So I go to the left and I hit somebody, he honks the horn. And he, uh, and he go, oh, I go, oh man, I'm sorry. You know, because, sorry, I didn't, I didn't see you. I make my, my, my gestures. I show him that I'm sorry. So I don't think anything of it. Suddenly this guy shoots on the right side of me and flips me off with both fingers and he's screaming at me. And you know what I do while I'm in the rosary? I throw my car to his car almost. I drive, drive, and I go like, and then while I'm doing it, I go, dude, what are you doing? I mean, I'm in complete control. I'm doing the freaking rosary. But you see, you always need to be on your guard. You know, and thankfully nothing happened. But I was like, where did that come from? It's always at moments that you don't expect it when you're in a complete zone that something I mean, bad you were, happens. You were praying the rosary. <laughs> I'm praying the rosary for crying out loud. So I don't I don't want to I don't want to one up the great boss rootin', but the day I was baptized, I I, I get it I was baptized and confirmed at thirty. And I, I really thought to myself, I am never going to commit a mortal sin. This was my, my I was sure of it. I was sure of it. I mean, I might commit a venal sin, but I'm never going to commit a, a mortal sin. And my buddy had backstage passes to the Beach Boys. So I jumped in the car after my baptism and confirmation. I'm heading to the Beach Boys concert, praying the rosary. And as I'm praying, the, and, and Mike, I'm just so happy, right? I got away with all these crimes. Like, I'm 30. It's all gone. I'll never commit a mortal sin in my life. This is wonderful. <laughs> And the guy cuts me off, and as I'm praying the rosary, I flick him the bird with the rosary in the same hand that I'm flicking him the bird. 
And I was a Catholic for like an hour and a half before I cre I was a scandal. Yeah. I was already a scandal to the faith in like an hour and a half in. And then I after this happened, I was a confession on Saturday. I, I had to get it out. I go, how can I change from total peace and happiness in an instantly? So that's why, you know, that's emotions, you know, controlling your emotions. I always say, you know, and it's part of Rivka talks about that. The times that you can be angry, there's maybe a couple of times in your life when you really need to defend you or your family or a loved one, you know, uh, for, and, and you need to get angry for a reason. But otherwise, anger, it should never be there. You know, but um, Jordan Peterson talks about you have to be an animal and then tame the animal. Have you heard him talk about this? No, and, but I like him. Yeah, and I think the you know, you had that spiritedness, and I'm afraid so many people today, they will hear that and go, that's just unthinkable, but they don't even have the spiritedness. So when there are those moments that Father Ripperger is talking about, they have to worry, will they be able to step up? Right? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I that's, think it. that's a worry that I think uh, that's a mod. Do you notice that in your, you know, it's your gym that there's a difference in the young men that you're training today than from 20, 30 years ago with that sort of spiritedness? You know, I, we're very fortunate because I won't allow a lot of things in my gym. You know, you're not allowed to come late. You're not allowed to use profanity. You're not, you know, walking around with bare chests. You can't do that. You know, this is not a fighters only gym. This is where, 1% of the people are fighting or maybe 2% and the rest are regular people. So I'm with the kids walking around. I don't want that. I think it's a bad message. You can't come in drunk. You can't do smoke. You, you know, do that, do that at home. You know, because you're setting an example and if the kid looks up to you and he sees you smoke or he, comes, he smells alcohol on you, guess what he's going to do? Because he wants to be cool like you. You see, you, you can change a kid like that. So with that said, we, we have people coming in uh, guys who, yeah, my, uh, my my friends tell me I should be UFC fighter. You know, it's always UFC fighters, never mixed martial artists. You know, you need to, <laughs> to go right away. They to go the straight UFC. to the the, the, the UFC, <laughs> and uh, and then they 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 come and train, and then but then you know I put them on purpose always with younger people who uh, I know are very good, and they just tear them up, you know, and not painful, but they simply don't have a chance. And well, nine out of ten doesn't come back. You know, instead of coming back, you know, because you want to get better, it's uh, it's a failure for them. You see, that's how you could never have been a fighter because you already quit after day one. You know, mentally, you don't have the cojones for it. So uh, it's good, you know, so at least we don't have to find it out in the ring. Yeah, that's something that's amazing, right, about, uh, about martial arts is that you have to really be humble to learn because you're you're going to lose a lot. You yep. know, you're going to get, if you're going to do Muay Thai, you're going to be limping for weeks, you know, <laughs> or you're do jujitsu. You're going to have the 16 year old kid that weighs 140 pounds, choke you out relentlessly. Um, yep. and it's going to take you a long time. I have a friend who's now is a Brown belt and he, he, he shared with me that he didn't tap anyone out for two years. Yep. You know, one tapped for him for two years, and he said, "All I did was just for two years. I got tap, 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 tap for one. You know, that's a lot." Of, and he's actually a Catholic theologian. And I said to him, "Well, you know, that's you had the gift of humility. I mean, that's unbelievable." I said, "Did it bother you?" He said, "Maybe the first month or two, and then I just no, it didn't." And it was, uh, and so that you realize that's you have to pass through that to be humble. What I like, boss, is you said you don't order your year; you order the day. And that takes care of everything else. 
that's it. Because once you work and everything works in your mind, that will take care of the rest of the problem. I was always very, they thought it was an ego thing I was saying. I said, listen, you are the most important person in the world. Yourself. So you can never lie to yourself. If you don't give a crap about other people, as a fighter, you will fight the best. Because the reason fighters lose and have a lot of pressure is just because they know the heat wave they're going to get if they lose. Oh, is this? They go online and it crushes these people. I have no clue. They're a fighter, but their skin is so thin, it's insane. You know, but, but that's what bothering them. I said, don't care about other people. And the example I always use is if they're nervous and it, and it seemed to really work with some students, I go, if, okay, so you're nervous for next week. I say, okay, first of all, nerves are not going to help you. You know that, right? You're not going to get better. If they will make you better, be nervous. But if they don't, which actually is the opposite, don't try to be nervous. And he goes, yeah, how, how can I shut that off? I say, okay, imagine your opponent walks in right now in our gym and you're going to have to fight him. We put you in a room with no windows. You lock the door and only you two guys go in and then you fight. And if you, you're not allowed to say who won or who lost the fight. So then you come out. Do you care if you would have lost? And they all say no. I go, so that means that you're fighting for other people to please other people. You know, if you just fight for you, and it sounds like an egomaniac thing to do, but then you will fight at your best. And once you fight at your best, you automatically put more food on the table because that's what I always say. I fight for my family. Dude, that's too much pressure. Because now if you lose, you cannot have, have the money. Don't, don't fight like that. Fight without pressure. And that's fighting like you don't care. And once you click into that, and that's thankfully I was really good at talking to myself, what is the worst thing that can happen? I never went, was down, uh, Jason, with a uh, loss. All these guys that I see, they're crushed and they start drinking. And do, I, got, I always thought, well, I'm going to have to get better so it doesn't happen anymore. You know. So if you see it like that, I see it as a, as a journey, not as a freaking race, then everything will be okay. And you fight at your best. Now, boss, you, I know you, I think you had a 22 victory streak. You didn't lose your last 22 fights. You didn't have a loss, correct? Is that right? Yes. I'm, yeah. I'm, I should look that up. And then how, how many losses did you have in your career? Um, uh, four and, and three by submission. But that was, that was the reason I never lost anymore. Because the last time I lost by submission, I knew that it's either, okay, I'm going to learn this game. Or it's going to keep on going like this. I win a few by knockout, but people are taking me down because they know I don't have a ground game and I lose my submission again. So I might get lucky one time and be a champion, but then I lose the title because the submission is stupid, you know. And I found this one guy, I became very vocal, and I found one guy in Holland, Leon van Dijk was his name, and he was young. He was 19 at the time, super strong, great striker, and also picked up things really fast. And we just start rolling, rolling, rolling. And then suddenly, you know, I just got, I got obsessed with it. I mean, I mean, it was the only thing I was doing two, three times a day. And, you know, I mean, I always talk about this in interviews. You know, I would wake up my wife in the middle of the night because I would dream a submission and I would put her in that submission. And then I asked her where it would hurt, you know, and I would write it down. And the next day I would do it in class. I mean, post-its all over the place with little combinations and leaders and different setups. And it just, I became an obsession. And then I, after my last loss, I won my by submission. I won my next eight fights by submission, seven finishes and one with submission control. And then, I, and then after that, I never lost again. So that's when my twenty-two fight unbeaten streak started, just because I made it uh, so that you know I was going to learn the game. And, and I always tell people, you, listen, I'm yes, I have some talent, but I know guys out there with way more talent. 
you know, and it's just putting the work in. That's the only thing. Just train harder than everybody else, and you can do exactly the same thing. Well, I think you are, I think it's universally kind of accepted. You are the first modern MMA fighter. And the, the legend is, like you just said it, that you taught yourself the ground game. And it's really hard to believe. I mean, did you not yeah. have, did you never, you never brought in anyone? You never brought in any outside, co did you bring in outside coaches or? No, I, I, listen, I went, I trained with Chris Dolman. And if I over my entire career went there 10 times, that would be, that would be a high number. So they would, just the basics. But, you know, I just start realizing that once there are no rules, once I don't have to play by certain teachers' rules, that I can, I go like, wait a minute, I can make this better. How do you mean? I said, well, I can at least make it better for me, my body type. And then, and I would realize I could do that with a lot. And then suddenly I just start, you know, I'm so proud of my, my submissions. I got, I have so many vic victories by submission and they're all different. It's not only a guillotine. It's hillook, inverted hillook, knee bar, uh, triangle choke. I mean, you name it. I, I pulled it off, you know, but, but I just worked on it a lot. It, it drove me almost insane. That's what I meant the most, <laughs> actually, the training and the fighting, because I, am AD, I have ADHD, and once I'm training or fighting, it's so much peace in my head, you know, because you're focusing on that. Oh, that's what I miss. Well, I tell people that ADHD is, I have it, I have it, and I don't think it's a thing. I think we're just a different type of learner. We excel, we excel in high stress situations. Um, yep. And like you said, yeah, it's it. We get at peace when there's, when things become intense for everyone else. That's when we, uh, when I talk to young kids with ADD, I say, listen, you're a Ferrari in a land of Hyundais. Okay. They're really good at driving 30 miles per hour all day long. And you're meant to go 160 miles per hour on the open road. There's nothing wrong. We need Hyundais. We, you know, we need those kind of cars to take us from here to there. Um, you know, but there's no shame in being a Ferrari either. So, yeah, right. Yeah. 100%. Always shoot for the highest. You know, if you want to do something, why don't you want to be the best? That's not an ego. That is just, if, you, if you're serious about something, why else would you do it? This is, but you see, all that apply, I apply to the faith. You know, if, if I can, why not do that with this as well? If I go into mass and I see people not kneeling and, 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 and still have to, you know, they're older people and they have to get the, the, the pages out because they don't know the 19 creed, you know, by, by heart. I go like, why are you a Catholic then? It's, if you, you're the, the, the people that the, uh, the Lord talks about in the Revelation 3.16, the lukewarm, you know, that he will vomit out of his mouth, you know? <laughs> The people who leave mass early, you know, Scott Hahn said it one time. It was so funny because I'm using this now. Uh, the first person who left mass early was Judas. <laughs> no, <that's laughs> and right. I go, okay. And I love that quote because so many people are doing it. They don't have the audacity. It's just this, to wait three more minutes and to, to applaud for the, the people from the choir who practiced all the week long. And, you know, you can't even do that. And you call yourself a Catholic. Why would you do that? I don't understand that. You know, we are the, we are the last to leave. And I, I think I used to, you know, there were times we would leave early for this or that. And I heard that, you know, Judas was the first to leave mass early. And I just, I've never left early again. Now we just wait till the very end. And then it's, you just said it, it's beautiful. It's actually, yep. when you leave, I always tell young people, the best way to change your life is to change the type of people you're around. And the easiest way to change the people you're around is to wake up early and go to bed early. Yep. So because yep. the people that are up at four or five in the morning, 
are different than the type of people that wake up at noon and the people that are up at two in the morning are different than the type of people waking up at five in the morning. So, um, and the type of people that are racing out to go to the, uh, the church, um, you know, first, you know, first chance, the mass isn't even over They're out the door. That's those are different than the folks that you see in the pew when mass is over. And it's kind of nice just to look at those people and go, Hey, I, I didn't even know these people were here, but now you can see them because, most of the most most of the people have laughed. That's it. But you know, it's it's a it's a courtesy also. You know, uh, why would you run out? Or what, here in California, you have people uh, who uh, come in with the flip flops and shorts and and, uh, and tank tops because then they can go straight from the church to the beach. I get in, don't go, don't kid yourself. You, you know, to me, you're a Catholic, but you're not a practicing Catholic. I always tell people that's the same as walking into my gym once a week or twice a week and then think you're a professional fighter. No, you're going to have to go into a room, actually take some classes, learn about it, and then you become a fighter. That's the same thing as being a Catholic. You know, to, just today at my gym, this MMA gym I trained with, uh, with my, one of my sons, the coach said to us, you know, uh, if you have goals, for every goal, there's, there are rules that go with those goals. He said, if you want to be a champion, you have to ask yourself, what are the rules to being a champion? And if you're not obeying those rules, like getting, you know, going to sleep early, waking up early, training a couple times a day, eating properly, if you're not obeying those rules, then how could you, you don't even think of yourself as pretending that you want to be a champion. And, and same thing. If the, the two things we're created for is to love God and love our neighbor like the, everything we do should be pointed in that direction. So if we're lukewarm and that loving our family and loving our neighbors and loving God, then what are we zealous about? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. But you know what? That's, that's a, it's a hard one, you know, because like loving your neighbor, that means also the ones that you really don't like, you know? And if you, like, for instance, you know, I, I, I pray for people in the White House also because, I mean, I hope they're going to correct their ways. You know, so I try always to, to to try to do that. But, you know, and some people when I really have an aversion against them, I have to put them in my prayers because otherwise it, it will go over my head. It's hard, you know, uh, a murderer from uh, uh, somebody who has kids in the family or something like that and then and try to be nice to them or forgive them. You see, I'm not at that level yet. I'm trying. <laughs> But that's a, that's a hard one for me. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm very good at forgiving people who commit the most atrocious shit sins to other people, but I'm still very bad at forgiving people who commit minor sins against me. Yep. Oh, that's a good one, Jason. I like that <laughs> one. I'm very good. I can forgive all kinds of horrible things, so long as they're not pointed in in, in my direction. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't, I don't, you know, um, but it's, again, it's like that thoughtfulness you had when I watched that video about your day, you're done, you're awake, you're done with a lot of your, you're ordering your day around not disrupting your, being present for your family, even walking your dog at the best time for, for the dog. So can I ask you about being a fighter and not being a, being a fighter? Yeah. And, you know, when I, I talk to my kids about martial arts and it's my passion, I see, you know, you have to look at someone. Why are they training? Is it a hobby? Are they a gladiator, a combat? Are they fighting for combat sports? Like they, they want to they wanna go on stage and perform in front of the world and be a champion. Are they a police officer or a soldier? So they're, they're fighting so that they can better defend their community. And I say it's all really directed at love. 
So when you have a prize fighter, um, somebody who goes into the ring or the octagon to fight in front of the world, they're inspiring people, right? They're, they're, they're inspiring guys that, um, that have to get up every morning and pick up the trash around the neighborhood. They are inspiring the orthodontist. They're inspiring all of us to be champions, to be the very best at what we do. You know how the Japanese talk about do, like there's a way and there's a way to everything, right? Um, you know, you were a prize fighter. You, you fought to inspire people. Um, but there came at like a big cost, right? Like you had four neck surgeries. Yeah. But you know what? I always was, um, the, the next year just came from a, a TV show, a fight team, believe it or not. Really? So none of your injuries, serious injuries came from fighting? No, you know what it is? I, and I, I truly believe it, it. Well, first of all, that was pride again, you know, Bye, because I was hanging upside down and I let myself fall on top of my yes. head because I thought I could do that, idiot, you know. And uh, I still didn't realize it um, until I saw the episode airing. And before that happened, I saw my arm. I look at my wife. I go, is my arm getting smaller? Look at this. And she goes, yeah, that's weird, right? And then suddenly I saw, and then I realized I couldn't, because my arm was always hurting. And and because of that, I didn't use it. And one time I had to do an autograph signing for the UFC in Boston. And uh, I, I couldn't travel like that because it was hurting me a lot. So I went to the doctor and they put a cortisone shot in my shoulder. And now the pain was gone. And I tried to lift my carry-on. I couldn't lift my carry-on. So I'm freaking out. I do it with my other hand, and I can lift it. I go, oh, okay. Well, so it's the arm. And then I saw the episode on TV, and they didn't even use that part of the scene. That's even the worst. And I go, oh, no, that's where it happened. I just dropped upside down on top of my head, crunched my nerves, stopped sending signals to my uh, shoulder, triceps, and biceps. And that was it. And you how know, long so, was yeah. this after the episode was shot that you realized that you had this injury? Yeah, way too long um, because uh, I they thought because of the pain in the shoulder, it was a pain, something in the shoulder, so it was misdiagnosed, so at least seven months. Wow. And for nerves, that is really bad because now they didn't get treatment, they weren't opened, and that's why I still, I, I will never completely get my biceps back, I know that, but I have my hand back. At the beginning, I couldn't pull the trigger from a gun. That's how weak my hand was. So, uh, and that freaked me out. Like, that was a mental hit in the face because, you know, you're always thinking about, helping and, and, and defending and, and doing good things. But now I'm, you know, I can't. I got only, okay, I got the rest left, but I don't have a hand. And it was my right hand. And suddenly when I, after the fourth neck surgery, I got my power of my hand back at least. And I said, okay, God, I will stop complaining now. Thank you. And I will just keep working it out. Like this morning again in the gym, I worked the muscles out. But I think it's more the, the other muscles around it that are compensating for it. Well, and, and, and the reason I wanted to bring that up is there's so many of us who we make excuses of why we can't work out, right? Yeah. And we've had surgeries, we've had this injury, we've had this in, that injury, but you've had a career as an MMA fighter and in the UFC, and you had the, that injury, which I did not know it came from. I just thought it was cumulative. I just assumed the, the surgeries were yeah. cumulative from... But I guess because you didn't grapple that much. That's another thing that took humility. In the 90s, those of us who are stand-up fighters, at least for me and those around me, we did not want to admit how effective the grappling game, ground game was. But you quickly acknowledged it and said, let me learn it. Yeah, but, but you know why? I'll give you a, you know how I got my fifth degree in Kyokushin? It was an honorary gift. I never did any test for that. I will tell everybody. I got it from John Blooming, and you probably know John Blooming. He's yes. the highest guy gene. You know, 11th degree Kyokushin and Masoyama has 12, I believe. So we're walking 
this, this is a true story. We were walking in Japan the day before the fight, and suddenly we hear hybrid wrestling, painters, the voice that always announce our shows. And we're looking to the side, and there's this building. And on the side of the building, there's a screen. I've never seen as big screen as that. Like, way bigger than, than in the movie theater. It was the wildest thing ever. And the first thing we see is me knocking somebody out. My very first fight, it was the preview for the, the, the next day tomorrow. So I'm sitting there, and we're watching. We're like freaking out. This is awesome. And I see a guy sitting in half guard, and he goes for an inverted heel hook. At that time, I had no clue what that was. So I'm looking at John Blooming, and I say, oh, that's a cool move. I should remember that. Maybe I can use this one day. And the next day, I'm in the fight, and I'm in that position. And I go, might as well try it. <laughs> now, I never did it before. So I had no clue what the amount of pressure I put him. I broke the guy's shin bone in half. You know? And that was not something that I wanted to do. But that's when Joe Blooming afterwards came to me and he says, dude, you told me yesterday that's a cool move and now you're, you're winning your fight with it. And that's why you gave me an honorary fifth degree black belt. Yeah, but, 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 you see, but, that, but that's when I found out how powerful submissions are. We as a striker, we think, oh, we, we, this is the toughest guy. No, any submission guy, freaking a good blue belt can dislocate any joint in your body and it can pretty much break any bone in your body. That's, that's a pretty big power to have, right? Oh, uh, no, it's frustrating. The first person I <coughs> trained jiu-jitsu with was at a boxing gym. It was Ensign Inoue, and this was oh, in the mid-'90s yeah. in Hawaii, and Ensign was a scary guy, like scary. He's, yeah. a, he's a beautiful human being, like, just a yeah. beautiful human being, but he was in those days he was kind of a scary guy. I don't know if you ever got to know him, but he's like, he, you know, he's like put on the boxing gloves, and he's like, okay, he put me in his guard, and he said, okay, you can do whatever you want. It was really humiliating, and it was just so frustrating. Yeah. But, you, you know, in those days, you thought, oh, I could figure this out with striking. Like, I, you know, I thought, like, okay, let me just be a better striker. I can figure this out. It took a lot to humble me to say, okay, I have to, to learn this other thing here. I have to learn jujitsu. Um, but it's not normal, boss, to be able to see it on a big screen, do it the next day, because I tell you what I do. I will watch something on YouTube, <clears throat> some guard pass or something. Then I will lie in bed before I go to sleep for like days, just visualizing it, what I watch. Then I will go try to do it. <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> and that's just some guy in the gym, <laughs> not, not, not to a champion fighter. And I just spent like 50 hours visualizing it, studying it on YouTube. So it's not a normal thing to like look up at the screen, say, ah, I'm going to do that and then pull it off. Like that's abnormal. I was just lucky that I was in that position. I go, hey, <laughs> might as well try it. Why not? You know, I can't go wrong. <laughs> well, that went wrong. I was really sad for him because he was a good guy. I always liked him. Takahashi was his name. He was one of those crazy guys after the fight. Same as me. So we always connected, you know, big drinker at the time as well. And uh, But he broke his shin and then he took seven months in the hospital. He got an infection in it. And oh boy, I went there. I had tears in my eyes when I... They're all with, there's all professional athletes in this room. They're sharing one room with like eight guys. And I remember looking at this coffee mug that was already used. And somebody walked in and just added some coffee, you know. And it was from like this morning. It was dried up. They just added the coffee and they walked out again. And I felt so bad for him. Man, eight months out and then like four months in the hospital. Poor guy. Did he, did he, did he come back to fight again? Yeah, yeah, he came back fighting again, yeah. But uh, most of the time, things like that, you know, they get mentally in your head. And uh, it, it's harder to come back from because now you think it's a weak spot, which it's not. If it's if it's 
heals correctly, it's actually stronger there than it was before, but people don't seem to think like that. Um, boss, before I want to, I want to end the show with talking about the O2, um, because my lungs were devastated by COVID pneumonia. And right now my entire neighborhood has the Omicron and I don't because I just got over Delta in September. So I think I'm the only guy in like my cul-de-sac that right now is, doesn't, doesn't have COVID. I want to, I want to talk about the O2 because I haven't heard you talk about it related to COVID. Um, but I think for those of us who are battling back from COVID pneumonia, um, this O2 trainer will be of great use. But before I get to that, I just want to ask you two, uh, two questions as a filmmaker, I think of, I want to know everyone's inciting incident. And I think like you had two inciting incidents in your life. Um, the first was that just the call to being a martial artist and a champion. And then the other was this call to live out the true meaning of your life um, as a Catholic. What was the inciting incident um, that led you to this career as a martial artist, as a fighter? Um, it, it, you know, I had a horrible skin disease. I was the leper in school. That's literally what they called me. Uh, because uh, it, there were days it was so bad that it would look, yeah, it didn't look like a hand. It was disgusting. It would burst. You know, I had my arms were full of my neck. So I was always wearing turtlenecks and long sleeves. And winter time, I always say, is the best time for me because I could wear gloves, you know, uh, so that people couldn't see my hands. And so, you know, you get bullied a lot, bullied a lot, bullied a lot, all and over and over and over again. And then, you know, there's one time I uh, saw a Bruce Lee movie, Enter the Dragon, when I was 12. And um, I asked my parents, I was to do martial arts, which they didn't allow. It took me two years to convince them. And then I was lucky to be taken under the wing of uh, of uh, the boyfriend from a neighbor girl that we have. He was like the coolest guy in town. And, uh, and I was the only kid training with the adults. And I started training there. And like within months, I stopped beating some of these adults and then I overheard them talk about me, you know, and as a kid, when you only hear bad things about you, but then suddenly adults saying, dude, that kid is really good. He just dropped Jack and everybody's laughing. Back, did you see that man? So I started getting confident. And then I got into a fight with the biggest bully in my school, the Shucky was his name. And uh, he and his buddies surrounded me. You know, I, they shouted something on the bicycles they were driving and uh, a leper or something like that again. And I shouted something back and I heard them laugh and I looked back and sure enough, they started to chase me and I just decided this is it. I'm not going to run anymore. And I put my bike on the stand and they surrounded me with their bikes, bicycles. And then Shaki came and asking me to hit him. So I obliged. And then I found out that uh, it took only one part. He was not that cold. His nose was broke. So that was the problem. The police showed up, of course, after that, because he had to go to the hospital for his nose. And then my parents took me off right away, but that was it. That, I mean, my bullying stopped 95% on that day because he was the toughest guy and everybody was like afraid. So when people always tell me, you you know, I did the anti-bullying campaigns for Cartoon Network and please don't talk about violence. I say, listen, if, you, if I can't talk about it, I'm not gonna do it because it was the only thing that helped. I tried talking for nine years, every single day. Never did anything. No, I, missed One that. Time, I, I, I missed that. Well, boss, what did you say they told, told you not to talk about? I said, I'm talking about, it's like trying to talk yourself out of situations. Oh, yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. working. No. They keep bullying you. Yes. You know, I said, I tried that for nine years, but you know, <laughs> right. suddenly when I knock a guy out, everybody knows, you know, it's, it's how it works. Those guys, they don't speak your language. They speak a different language, which is violence. And you have to answer in that language, I guess, right? Because reason doesn't work for them. And that was it. 
you know, and that's when, and then I found out I was actually pretty good at it, you know, and I started training also later because, of course, after the knockout, my parents took me off. And then when I was 20 or 21, I moved out of the house. And that's the first thing I started, Taekwondo at the time. And uh, and slowly but surely, I started Thai boxing right away six months later because I wanted to compete. Then I started knocking people out after a while. But I just had a good feeling for it. But I, I, I wasn't that controlled fighter that I became in Pankos, though. I always tell people this. You know, you, you know as well as I do, there's a lot of guys who can train really well and fight really well in the dojo. But under pressure, they can't perform it. It's really hard to to switch to if you are able to do exactly what you do in training under pressure you're going to be big you're going to have a great career but that's the trick you know so and in Thai boxing I wasn't because it was too much I didn't want to lose in front of people I think it all comes from the bullying and the, you know you want to be the best and you want to show them that you're not like that and you put too much pressure on yourself what? now I was lucky that I was very strong so I all my first night fights were all knockouts I just knocked everybody out but as soon as I <laughs> fight like a professional guy uh, pro guy yeah that was a problem you see so but then when I went to Japan I realized wait a minute if I unload on this person I found out on the day of the fight that there were no five rounds of three minutes and that there was no weight classes. So what do you mean no weight class? No, everybody fights it as an overweight. And my opponent was 28 pounds heavier. Started with that. How many rounds are we fighting? And they said, only one. I go, I'm all happy, right? <laughs> one, how many minutes? He goes, 30. I go, there's no breaks. No, there's no breaks. It's a 30. Three is their half an hour fight. So that got in my head, I think. And I started thinking about, wait a minute. If I go all out and I can't knock the guy out in the first two minutes, I got 28 more minutes to go. That that's not going to be ending well for me. And that I think that pressure combined with the complete quietness in the Japanese audience, like nobody says a word. I mean, you can talk to the guy in the 20th row with the voice that I'm talking to you right now, and he can understand everything you say. And and that made me so calm. I I was mesmerized walking into the into the ring. There was this one moment that I, I stated in certain sort of interviews, I said this, and I, I had no clue where this came from. And, it's, and it's, it's, it's cool, you know, but I'm just trying to tell you because I didn't do this on purpose. It was all something took over. And it was literally, I knock him out almost immediately in the first because he's this guy, he's a 6'3 guy, he's much taller than me, and I give him a right high kick, I plant my foot, and immediately I give him a palm strike upwards because he's taller than me, and he goes down. And the people are going crazy. And I see him going down. And I want to go because in Japan, there's eight counts, right? So they start counting. If you're in your corner, that's when they start counting. So smart thing will be to go to your corner as fast as you can because then he gets the least amount of rest. But something, I wanted to do that, but another voice told me, no, 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 because I saw him look at me on the ground. And, and another voice told me, no, no, intimidation. And I go, I literally, like, I had no clue what I was doing. So I... You see me in the fight looking at him, and then I look. I turn around very slowly, and I walk very slowly back to the corner. Something told me that that would have way more effect on that person on the I ground. Re- I remember that from the highlights. You I see? definitely and remember it that. And it was like, and while I'm walking back very calmly, the other voice is going, go fast, go fast, go fast. But there's two voices, and one guy says, no, just relax, just relax, just relax. And then I hang in the corner like nothing cares. I don't care about anything. But the student, like I said, it goes really fast, really slow. And, I, and that blew me away. I was, I was so aware of what I was doing 
while I was not directing it. It was almost, like I said, something took over. And that was and your that was first it. fight under the big lights. That was it. The first big one. Yeah, sold out arena. Tokyo, never been in the, on a plane, 13-hour plane trip from Holland. <laughs> it was, uh, and then the next day, people, I mean, after the fight, Japanese people are asking autographs and pictures. I mean, you do this in Holland as a foreigner, you better get out alive there. <laughs> it should be the Dutch guy. But these people, were, there was a couple putting a baby in my hand. I felt like the president, I always say, you know, I go like, wow, this is so crazy. The next day, people bowing to me on the street. Like every 10 or 15 people, somebody would bow at me, go, what's going on? And then I saw the newspaper, and on the cover was me hanging in the air in the split, which I didn't <laughs> know I did, you know, because it's just, I was just, yeah, I was just in the zone. And that's when I, and then I'm hanging in the split, and below me is the guy knocked out on the ground. I go, oh, okay. So that's how these people know me. It was so cool. It was the coolest day ever. Did you know, and I know you said you fight for yourself and you went in the ring and you didn't think what others thought about you, but to me what I greatly admire about professional athletes, especially fighters, is how they inspire so many people. Did that give, did that give fuel to your fire to see how your performance inspired so many people in another country? Yeah, you know, it's, I, I really didn't think about that, but, you know, I would do, uh, I put these big R's on my hands with a big marker, and, it, it, and the R stands for rustig, which coincidentally relax. That's also with R, which is the same word in Dutch. Because I was such a hothead, I need to be quiet, quiet, relax, relax. And my corner, if somebody hits me, you hear my corner only say, be relaxed, stay calm, don't worry, stay calm, because I'm a hothead and I want to go right away in there and do something back. But then, you know, suddenly, like months later, there's a magazine came out with like three pages with all little pictures in there from people who were doing uh, a test in school, the driving test, whatever they did. And they all had the R's on their hands to stay, to stay calm. I'm going to put the R and on I my thought, steering wheel. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm, oh, I'm, I'm going to put the R on my steering wheel so I don't get any more <laughs> oh. altercations in the road. I thought you meant that you already did. No, that. no, go, I'm going to oh. do that. I'm going to do that. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it, it, and you see those things, they work. And then if you see that it affects people and they start doing it, that is the best. When you when you get uh, letters, like I got people here who want me to sign things. They don't even put a note in there. And, and of course, I sign it and I send it back, you know. But so other people, they write with handwriting. They write a big note. And those guys always get more, you know. I always find things that are more rare and I sign that and I send them back. You know, it's just a it's a, just a nice thing to do. But if you read what you affect people, other kids who had eczema and asthma who are writing me now, just another guy, uh, Carl Fisher, uh, his son also. And I've been in contact with the guy and he was visiting here. So I saw him here as well. So it goes through the same thing. And he's already older and he still has it, you know. So once you realize that you can inspire people like that, man, that, there's nothing better like it because it's not something you have to really go out of your way for doing. You so you're doing it by being you. How cool is that? When you know, because you have empathy, you remember what it was like to be a bullied kid. And, you know, those years go by long when you're a kid. You know, being bullied five years old to 12 years old, that's eternity. You haven't even lived that long yet. You know, those are long years and long yep. days. Um, when did you, yep. did you ever shake it? Like the insecurity caused by that? Was there ever a time where you just said it's gone? Or do you think it influenced you? even after your success and celebrity? Oh, yeah, still. It will still. But, you know, I I, I, uh, I welcome it, stuff like that. 
if there's something I don't want to do because it's scary, I do it on purpose. I want to get over that. This is the same as when we were working out, you know. The people go, oh, you like working out? I say, no. There's a lot of days I don't want to work out. But if I, <laughs> if I submit to that, you know, and I don't work out, now I'm building a bad habit. If I just go and I just focus on the feeling I'm going to have after I'm done. If I don't want to go, I just focus on that feeling. That's what I did in fighting. I focus on the moment. If I would get nervous, I would focus on the bell. Because I know as soon as it goes, ding, I'm completely in the zone. And I would tell myself, but you know, and I, and I would be completely relaxed immediately. I had this thing. I was talking about it yesterday. That's why it pops up. I did the, 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 uh, was a fight and a half before me. And the doctor walks in and somehow he wanted to do my vitals. Don't ask me why, but he did. And that was the first time that I realized that I was relaxed because he goes, ooh, ice. And people go like, what do you mean? He goes, your heartbeat is 51. I go, so? He goes, you're, you're relaxed. I go, yeah, why wouldn't I be? And, and everybody goes, yeah, but you're going to fight. I say, but what is the worst thing that can happen? If you really break it down, okay, you're going to get knocked out. Apparently, you're not going to feel that. You're going to just wake up, right? You're going to get in a submission. Okay, well, if I tap, I'm not going to break an arm. I'm not going to get choked out. It's simply tap. So what is really the worst thing that can happen? Well, that is that other people start talking about you, that you're not a good fighter. And these are all people who actually don't fight because they don't have the cojones to do it. So why would you care? You see? And that's how I always talk to myself. And it always worked. Now, if I could translate that also into fighting and, 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 and talking and my talk, that would be great. Because for talks, you know, the first minute, and you probably have that also, but you did it way more than I do. The first two minutes is always a little nerve-wracking. But, you know, as long as you come in prepared and you, you master to what you learn, that takes all the, the nerves away. And then suddenly, you know, you shoot into it and then everything is good. But, you know, but that's like everything else in life. It's preparation, preparation, man. And as long as you make sure that you prepare 100%, that'll take 80% of the nerves away. Yeah, and dude, like you said, you people assumed, oh, you you like doing this intense training? Or Muhammad Ali said, you know, I don't believe him. He said he never enjoyed a minute of training. I don't believe him. I see him smiling a lot in the gym. But I think the point he was trying to make is, you know, it's a hard life and we do things we don't like. Um, I always get offended when I have to travel to, you know, for work to certain places and that could be dangerous. And people go, well, you like going to places like that or putting yourself in jeopardy. No, what? No, I do things I don't yeah. like. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? You think I just do what I like in life? If I just did what I liked in life, I would sit around my house eating, binge watching Netflix and going to the gym. That would be my life. I would basically be one of the Jer one of those Jersey boys. <laughs> is that what they were called? Jersey Shore. Jersey Shore. I'd, be, I'd basically be one of the guys on Jersey Shore if I did what I wanted to do with my life. But people do what they don't want to do. Um, so what was – that was your inciting incident to becoming a champion was being bullied, being insecure, and Bruce Lee, who inspired so many people. Um, and then the, you're fortunate to be in the Netherlands where you were surrounded by great kickboxing schools and your neighbor's boyfriend could teach you. Um, yeah. What was your inciting incident for your, your faith? It was, um, okay, I got to tell you two things. So uh, I've been, first of all, I've been attacked by a spirit in a former house. Like five, six times it happened in the middle of the night. Uh, I will be completely aware. I could look around. I wouldn't see anything, but my whole body would be pushed to the bed. It was like, they say, oh, it's like a sleep paralysis. I said, no, I'm, I, I see everything. I, I, you know, I just can't speak, but I can move my head and I could, I could smell, I could, and it was a very scary situation. And then one time I was sitting at, uh, 
at the restroom. I always sit down because I don't have to turn the light on if I'm peeing, right, in the middle of the night. Otherwise, it wakes me up. And I see my wife passing as she's going through the, through the kitchen. I figure, oh, she's probably going to get some water. So I go into bed, and she's in bed. So I'm grabbing the gun. I'm going to run through the house because somebody, I, I just saw a person walking in the house. But there was nobody in the house. And then one time I came home late, um, uh, of late, like 9.30 with the family. And I opened the door, and I felt somebody was in the house, a presence whatever it was. And I said to my wife, I said, you guys stay outside. I said, here's the telephone. Just dial 911. You know, don't hit send. And if you hear something, hit send. I said, somebody's in the house. It's, I felt weird. And I'm going into the house, and it was there were two rooms that were separated by a wall. And I thought the person was on the other side of the wall. It's hard to explain. But anyway, that room would go into the kitchen, and there was the dining room. It would go into the kitchen in the back. And then the, the other side, yeah, it's, it's hard to explain with just words. You could also go to the kitchen, but it was divided by a wall. And I thought that person would be on the other side of that wall. So what I did, I made a lot of noise, and I started walking forward, hoping the other person would go the opposite direction, of course, to miss me, and then I make a U-turn, and I would catch him. So that's what I did. Now, the, the dining room to the kitchen had a really thick curtain instead of a door. Uh, so in the doorpost, I was hanging that, but no door, a heavy thick curtain. And while I came running around the corner, that curtain is flying up against the ceiling, like full on flying up against the ceiling. So I keep sprinting because somebody just ran through it and there was nobody in the freaking house. And that really got to me because that room where I was running, the dining room, there was always a cold smell and there was something going on. Now, later on, we found out that the person passed away there. And now I'm thinking she was, because my kids saw her, everybody saw her. They could see what she was look like, looked like, looked like. Uh, but she never was a problem to them. It was only to me. Now, I was a heavy drinker at the time. And I think that was her way of saying, hey, idiot, be a father, be a husband, be a man, you know, stop that stupid drinking. I think that's why she was constantly going after me. And then one day I got so fed up with it with all these weird things that happened. And I went to that dining room area in the middle of the night at 3 a.m. And don't ask me how I knew because it was completely removed out of the face. That 3 a.m. was when the demonic activity is at its highest, as it speaks. And I challenged it there because there was always a, it was always cold there and it was a weird smell. And uh, for 45 minutes, I said, hey, you want to go? Let's do it. Don't wait till I'm asleep. That's a sucker punch thing. Let's fight it out. Bring it down to my level, though, so I get something that I can actually fight. You know, but I would love for you to try it now. And I just kept doing that, you know. And then I just felt suddenly I go like, I think it's okay. And I never had anything anymore. Later on, actually, by the way, I talked to Father Ripperger. He goes, yeah, you should have done that, but only you, boss. He said, only you can do it, I guess. But then we moved to another house. And we arrive in the house, and my daughter's sleeping upstairs. And she's uh, I, uh, in the morning, we wake up. How was everybody's first night? And my daughter goes, it was nice, but I had a visit from two boys. And I go, okay, back up. You mean spirits? And she goes, yes. I go, honey, you're not freaking out. She said, no, they were really nice. I go, this is crazy. I said, how old? She said, I don't know, 16, 17 years old. And I'm looking at my wife. I go down uh, and I go on the computer if something ever happened at my house. And in 2001, four kids in the car got out of spin with Christmas, uh, drinking and driving, flew through our wall. I'm walking outside. And I see where the wall is repaired. And there were three boys and one girl. Two boys died, 16 and 17 years of age. And I go, oh, okay. So now I knew there was much more going on, right? 
So then we're doing, um, I'm, uh, we're filming uh, Mall Cop 2, and Kevin had this, uh, Leo Severino, he, he, he was on the set, and he was going to talk about w- w- how the, the, the earth came to be, you know, where we come from. And do you want to sit in on this? I said, sure, why not? You know, we can smoke a cigar. We're sitting outside at the Wynn Hotel, you know, is in between uh, after our food, relax, smoke a cigar, drink a Coke. Well, what do I have to lose? And he started talking about something. Now, before I do, there's not a lot of memories that I have when I was a kid because I blocked that out. And I had a lot of medication that was affecting my brain. Thankfully, we figured it out. And so once I stopped it, it all came back. But there's not a lot that I remember. But there's one scene that I was, when I was 10 years old, I was staring out of the window and I was staring at a tree. And I remember the whole class was laughing because the teacher tries to get my attention. But I was so mesmerized with this tree. And suddenly he's screaming really loud, Ruth, and I go, what? And he goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm looking at that tree. He goes, what about the tree? I said, how did that tree get there? And he goes, yeah, they planted it there. And I go, yeah, no, of course I understand that. I said, but if you go to the tree before, the tree before, and you go all the way back, where do trees come from? What's the first tree? And he looked at me like I was just crazy. And then when Leo started talking, the first thing Leo says, the leaf fell from the tree. He says, this leaf just reached its end destination. Let's go backtrack that leaf now. And he goes back to the branch, and then he goes to the tree before, and the tree before, and the tree before. And I'm sitting there, and I go, wait a minute, I know this story from somewhere, you know? And then when Leo started doing that, and eventually getting to a very solid proof of the very existence of God, that we are a creation, that we're created, yeah, that changed everything for me. That really opened my eyes, and, and that was pretty much it, you know? I was pretty much immediately invested, just like I was with submissions. Once I started, my wife thought it was going to be only like for six weeks because with my ADHD, <laughs> that's about the amount of time that I do. And then I need something new, but this just went more and more. And, you know, I started getting, learning more about it, went to retreats with the group. And I just, uh, it made, it changed me. You know, you, it's, it's so cool to see the truth and just to, you know, when all these people, when they talk about the faith and the Catholic faith and when the pedophiles do and they go like, well, first of all, because if you're not a religion, don't stop pointing fingers because just do a Google search, I always say, and see what's going on with yours because you're going to find out that they actually are the lowest numbers in the Catholic faith. And it's really weird for people to understand. And still, it's bad. One person is bad, but that's bad people. That's not what Jesus preached. You know, he was all about truth and logic, and love, and, and, and forgiveness, you know, those words don't change, it's bad people that change, you know, so, but but that's the, 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 the era we live in, you know, you have a few racist ass cops, you know, all of them are racist, you know, you're a Muslim, you're a terrorist, you're, you know, and, and they do it, you're a blonde girl, you're stupid, you're a judge, you're stupid, you're a military guy, you kill babies, you're a lawyer, you kill, you know, you're a criminal, and, I mean, we all put these people in boxes, you know, only because a small percentage of them is bad. And I go, and once I realized that, like, wow, because for me, that was a big thing also, pedophilia in the church, you know, because I was brainwashed just like everybody else. But once you break it down and you realize, wait a minute, if I have 20 people in my family, statistics say there's one pedophile, 5%. Think about that number, 5%. So if you got 40 people, you have two pedophiles. Yeah, but not me, boss. I don't have it. Well, maybe, maybe not, but maybe you have three or four. That's very possible as well. So if you have, does it make you a pedophile? And they go, no, of course not. They go, so stop freaking talking. You see, I want you, that's just truth. Just approaching it with logic, 
And once you do that, you realize that actually, if everybody would be a devout Catholic, <laughs> we wouldn't be in any stress in the world right now. Everything will be nice and dandy. Yeah, and there, there are over a billion Catholics. There's over four times the population of the United States in the Catholic Church. So we're going to have all sorts of folks. Uh, I, but, but like I said, a lot of these are Catholics who are just going through the motions. That's and I right. think as a Catholic, you should learn about it. Like I said, you can go to a gym just walking around. Learn about the faith. Because once you realize that, you can also you can defend yourself when people talk to you. Oh, it's better for us, it's better for us. Google first before you say something. It's like the Protestants always here. I have people who, who dropped away uh, from the Catholic Church because of the pedophilia. I go, oh, you want me to send you a link? Which is actually written by a Protestant guy? Because there it's 5%, just like it is in the regular world. And in the Catholic Church, it's 2%. I can send you the link if you want. But you see, but that's how people, they just listen, and then immediately they change. Instead of doing their homework first, and still, also for the Protestant Church, it's bad people. It's not what Jesus preached, you know? Right. So. They, they can't help it, but there's no control. That's what I think, and that's why it could be there more prominent. So you, um, by the way, the Leo Severino's class, that going deeper is amazing. I wish that were like a, you know, on a video somewhere, or I don't know if it is or not. He has it on the book now. Yeah, I have his book. He's yeah. actually been on the show. Yeah. We did a show on his book, and um, it's, I don't think the book does him service. There's like something about Leo in the front of the class, the way he does it, um, that's just really compelling. And uh, I'd like to see like a video series or something. So, but was there a hunger for the faith? You say, or was it just that it, it clicked? It just clicked. And then right away, yeah, it became the hunger. You know, it's like, ah, you know, when he said do the daily rosary, it's going to help you. And I start feeling really good with that. Like, like physically, mentally starts feeling better. And then somebody told me, oh, you know what? It's, uh, you know, the demons, what they fear the most, they fear the Latin language the most. Okay, so let's do the rosary in Latin. And I start learning that. And then suddenly, oh, let's do the divine mercy in that. And let's start doing this and this. And, glory. And, and you know, you start doing more and more and more. And people are like, but you, you're doing so much. I go, yeah, but I'm training my brain also to, to, to keep memory. You know, it's really good for all the jobs that I do. I have memorized openings for shows and, and, and scripts for movies. and things. It all helps for that. Just doing it. Keep your mind busy. And I just became obsessed with it. Like, you know, I wake up, uh, it's the first hour, is at least an hour that I spent on the faith in the morning, you know, and I really cannot do it without. In the evening before I go to sleep, I do it still, examination of conscience, and then there will a whole plethora of, of prayers that I have to my favorite saints and, and everybody that inspired me, you know, so, and if I don't do it, I, I feel different. So I just feel great. And, and what is the bad thing? People are always, dude, I'm a better person. That's the only thing I'm doing. This is what I also talk about all this. Um, if I post a picture of a little baby with a gun in his diaper, and I say, and he's on the phone on the cell phone, I posted that picture on my uh, Instagram for fun, and the, the caption says, he's way too young to get an iPhone, you know, like that. So all he has to go. So I got freaking 60,000 people likes. If I post something about a charity event that we need help with for homeless people and to get some money, I'm happy if I get 300 clicks or 300 hearts. So when you're doing something nice for people, you don't get zero, you get zero response. And when you do, if I would still use profanity, I mean, my, my numbers would be up. Trust me. As soon as I, I uh, was talking about the faith on my Facebook page, it was growing 5,000 a week for years. 
it was 20,000 a month, more people. As soon as the faith piece came out, it at least stopped for a year and a half. Actually went down also, and for a year and a half, nobody added themselves more. You know, I just want to be a better guy. But they're so brainwashed, they think, right, oh, that's how they are. Oh, oh, and then go over that whole thing. Everybody's in, put in, in boxes. And the lowest percentage is bad. Every one of them is bad, except to their family members, of course, because that is different. You see, people are just not so smart at times. And, uh, and I was like that myself, so I can really understand it. I hope only that they're going to change as well. And see, simple truth. That's it. And they think that, oh, we're pointing. They think that when someone has a conversion, they become obsessed with the behavior of those around them. When the opposite is happens, that we really become thoughtful of how we hurt other people. And we can under, when I was an atheist, I was the most judgmental, vicious jerk on the planet earth. I gave yeah. no quarter. Um, it, Cause I guess I was my own God. And so, if so, you know, but then now like every night, sort of my mantra when I close my eyes and go to sleep is I'm praying, God, make me kind, thoughtful, gentle, you know, it's just, but they think, you know, cause that's how the media portrays it. And, yeah. um, did you expect when you came out as a Catholic or when it became known that there would be a kick? Did you anticipate that? Oh, yeah. I know how people are, you know, and because I was like that. You know, it was the first thing I would say in the past, pedophile priest. It was like stupid. You, you don't think what you're saying. You're just, you're just saying things that first people who you look up to say. You know, it's the same with politics, you know. Oh, I voted for this. But this one person said uh he voted for Obama because uh, George Clooney voted for him. I go, oh, like uh, Kevin Spacey and uh, Bill Cosby, right? And she looks at me, I go, yeah, exactly. You don't know what kind of people they are. Vote for somebody because you want to vote for it. Make your own decision, not because some actor or, or fighter or athlete or musician <laughs> votes for it. Do your own homework, you know, but they don't. That's how people are. It's so easy. They don't have to think anymore. How how did this impact the, uh, like your relationship with your family and those closest around you? Well, this is a fun thing. My wife, uh, she did. She was baptized. She never did confirmation, and she always told me that she didn't have to go to church because she believes there's a God and she lives a good life. And I treat people with respect. She said, and I, I don't need to do that. And when I came home, and I started going back to the faith. First of all, she thought it was like a, a short amount of time was going to happen, but then. She started me start changing, you know, suddenly no more profanity. You know, I, I, I became, she saw I became a better guy. And, and I was never a bad guy, but I was just, I was cleaning off all my little stupid acts that I had. And then one day I came home and I said, listen, I, uh, I want to marry for the church with you. Because we were married already twice. <laughs> and I go, uh, I want to marry this time for the church. And the next day I tried to get a hold of her at noon. And I couldn't get a hold of her. And she calls me back like noon 45 or so. And I go, hey, where were you? She says, oh, I was at Mass. I go, excuse me. She says, yeah, because I was baptized. I didn't do confirmation. So I just did Mass and I signed up for RCIA class. I go, <laughs> I mean, I didn't even ask her. And she immediately, she did it, you know. Oh, so, oh wait, so you didn't ask her. She, this day you intended intended to ask her, she. I just go. Yeah, I threw the ball out. I say, hey, I would like to marry for the Catholic Church. I didn't, I didn't want to push too hard yeah, because you yeah. know how it is. I'm a, and then the next day, she already went to mass inside of her RCA classes without even telling me. 
Yeah, how did she so, even know that she had to do that? That's so interesting. That's what I'm saying, man. It's like we have this really great thing. Like in February, so next month, we're 30 years together now. And uh, and the only reason also that she is, we're together is because she always said, I, I knew eventually you would come back, the old boss, because I've been I've been an animal, man, in the, in the, the crazy time. And, you know, once you're at your peak and do all this crazy partying and just a just a douche, but that's all that I say. I'll make up the rest of well, my life. Well, there's nothing that can prepare a young man or young woman for celebrity. Nothing. You know, yep. what, what it does to your nervous system and your mind and your relationships. And uh, my friend's son is one of the most famous guys in the world, and she told me she wanted to write a book to help parents go through what her and her son had to go through. And I said, yeah, okay. <laughs> like, there'll be an audience of 10, right? Like, Who's going to read yep. that book? You know, Elvis's mom, Michael Jackson's mom. Like, I don't know a lot of moms to read that book. And, uh, uh, but there's not a lot you can do to prepare for it. You just experience it. And, and um, if it doesn't crush you, uh, it makes you a beautiful person um, because you get empathy, right? Be because it's, it's unlike, I tell people, if you, if you have to choose between your child becoming the most famous pop star in the world are pushing them in a barrel over Niagara Falls, push them in a barrel over Niagara Falls. Yeah. They probably yep. have a higher chance of survival. Yeah. hundred percent, man. It's like, you see this a lot, you know, you well, with Conor McGregor, you see this, you know, and I know he's a good guy. I interviewed him, met him a bunch of times, but you know, it's like putting a, at that age, getting God knows how hundred million dollars, hundreds of millions, you know, it just changes people and uh, he'll figure it out. He will uh, be on the, the good path again. Yeah, look at Mike Tyson, uh, it, it, right? Look at look at who, who he's becoming. Exactly, man. And I'm so mesmerized with this guy. He's so, you know, I, I was very fortunate to watch him train and go a bunch of times to his workouts and just connect with this guy. And he's so much deeper than everybody thinks. You know, the guy is, uh, I, man, he's a, he's a good thinker. He's, a, he's just a good guy, you know. But too much money, too much power. At 19 years of age, he was the youngest champion ever. No father, well, his mentor dies. Like, you know, it's what yep. else could have happened. Nothing else could have happened. Yep. Nothing else. And, and then all these leeches coming out of the woodworks, you know, everybody wants to take advantage of him and all the bad people come around you and he doesn't see it because he's always been protected, you know, by God's motto. And yep, stuff like that happens. But he pulled out, you know, and uh, I think he's a great human being. Praise God. Well, boss, um, the main reason I wanted to have you on is I'm selfish and uh, I don't even have a podcast. This is just how I get free life coaching. <laughs> I, 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 could you imagine? I have this O2 in my hand. So many of us have gone through pneumonia. Uh, I had COVID and I had COVID pneumonia. The two weeks before I was training with pro fighters, whole, you know, 50 years old, holding my own, um, training in long classes. Just today, I went with my son to like a family class at the school, and um, it's been four months since I got over my COVID pneumonia, and I still am struggling. Um, so I ordered your O2, and I've really, I'm really committed to. I said to myself, I want my mobility at 60 to be better than it is at 50, and now I want my lungs to be stronger a year from now than they were before I had pneumonia and COVID. So. When I was listening to you talk about your pancreas fighting, you had to do these 30-minute fights. Is that where your obsession with lungs, the power of the lungs, first you first realized how important the lungs were? Um, no, way back, you know, because I was um, 
like I said, I, I was happy, uh, a severe asthma patient. And I would have attacks of a week or eight days in bed, not able to eat even because I couldn't breathe. So that was always boring. But what I was also doing, track and field at the time, and also at a pretty high level, and uh, and I and needless to say, with my asthma, my my running tires would always be the worst. Like the 800, the 400, and the 1500 meters would not be good for me because of my asthma. But after an attack from eight days, I would resume my track and field, and suddenly I would every time, every single time, I would break my running times. And it uh, mind boggled me. I didn't know what was going on until I went to the doctor's office and I saw a, a drawing of a pair of lungs in a frame on the wall. And uh, and I always tell people, you know, when you when you think you have a lung infection, you think actually your lungs are infected, but it's not. It's the airways that go into the lungs. Those are infected. And it showed a healthy airway and it showed an infected airway. So one airway is open, the other one is all messed up with goo and with all stuff. And that was it. That was the idea. I got like, oh, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I've been pulling air in through an infected area, you know, so with resistance. So unknowingly, I've been actually training my lungs. At the time, I thought your lungs were doing the work. I will go into this in a little bit. And that made me stronger. So then when the infection is gone, I'm, I'm, I can breathe much better. And so why don't I come up with something that controls the air intake? That was literally the idea. I was 14 when I came up. And I started experimenting with like, washers, you know, from bolts and washers here uh, with the uh, bolt nuts and washers. The washer I put in front of my tooth had a little hole in it and then we try to breathe through through that hole. It's of course super dangerous because well if you shoot through your lung you're dead. You know, if it's uh, if it passes an airway, you're dead. You can't heimlich it out anymore. So but it was always on my mind. And then so you know, many years later, well eleven years ago, I decided to make it. And uh, I started working out with the prototype. And uh, and remember this, every fight I had in my life, I had to spray open my lungs in the dressing room. I had an inhaler with me everywhere I went, always, because if I would sneeze violently three times, my lungs would close up, and then I needed an inhaler. And in three weeks training with the other trainer, my asthma was gone. And I'm freaking out. I'm sending it to my buddy in Holland who has asthma, I know about. And eight days later, he calls me, says, dude, I want to sell this thing here. I go, what do you mean? He says, my asthma is gone. I go, dude, this is crazy. So now I knew I had something. But it took a long time for people to believe me because, you know, they think, oh, he's just trying to sell a product. But then like a couple of years ago, six years ago, I think, I went to visit Dr. Belize Avrenich, and she's a world-renowned breathing expert. And, um, and I met her at the at Fifth Avenue, on the, she had an office there. And the first thing that she did with me was measuring my chest expansion. Uh, and I know why she's doing that. I will go over that in a little bit. She wants to see how far I can expand. And she first exhaled, she measures me, said inhale. And she goes like, she started laughing. She goes, no, no, that's not true. That's not possible. Do it again. And I do it again. And she gets one minute. And she runs out and she comes back with another doctor. I go, okay, what's going on? She says, well, if I don't bring him, he's not going to believe what I just measured. And she said, normally they break the record with the chest expansion with like an eighth of an inch. You just almost went two inch over everybody else, you know. And, and so, and then they realized it was the O2 trainer. So now suddenly she put it in a book. And now people start realizing, oh, this actually, this is real, you know. And then all these reports come in. I actually, for, for asthma and, and COPD, I have a... a a line out there that I say, if you buy for your asthma, see if we need, and within 30 days, doing it every day, it takes about four minutes a day, 
your asthma is not gone for 70% or more, I'll give you your money back. That's how convinced I am it will work. And I have pulmonologists buying it now. So it's going really well, and it's training your breathing muscles. And for people, you know, you're the same, same as me. You've got, like, breathing muscles. Yeah, your lungs are just two bags. They don't do anything. The only way to open your lungs is to create a vacuum between your body and the lungs and to open it up. And the only way to do that is to work out your diaphragm, which is the muscle which expands, which flattens out in the center of your body if you uh, if you want to breathe. This, this is the thing, and this becomes very complicated if you think about it. So your chest doesn't expand because you put air in it. Your chest, your chest expands because that's how you pull the air in. It's mind-boggling. But if you think about that, so your diaphragm and your intercostal muscles are the muscles in between your ribs, those expand your chest. And the chest expansion creates a vacuum between the body and the lungs, and that opens up your lungs. Now, of course, it's got to go super fast, but that's how your lungs work. So your lungs by itself don't do anything. You need your breathing muscles, otherwise you can't breathe. And an average human being has about 11 pounds of breathing muscle. So when you're gassing, that feeling of gassing, and every person will tell you this, every test will tell you that, is oxygenated blood leaving your limbs to support your number one priority in the body, which are your breathing muscles. So to me, it's so mind-blowing that my life is so much I better. I never because knew that. So when we're gassed out at the gym today, when I was gassed out at the gym, um, that's all the blood is going to support breathing. That's it, because it's your number one priority. Three minutes without it, you're dead. Three days without water, you're dead. Three weeks without food. That's the survival rule of three, with average human being. So the number one priority is your breathing muscles, yes. So you have to work them out. And once you start working those out, you know, and then think about this, 95% of the people breathe wrong. I was a wrong breather. I have a video on my website where I'm fighting a world title fight. And I'm chest breathing like a maniac. <laughs> I'm trying to catch my breath like that. That is completely gone with me. I can come out of a super hard round and as soon as I go, and I'm looking every time and mesmerizing me. I go like, how? This is so powerful to breathe the correct way. Five to, uh, four to six, uh, raising your shoulder breath, is what 95% people do, is the same as one belly breath. So think about that. Say that one more time. Four to six chest breaths that people take, that 95% of the people are making, they're raising their shoulders when breathing. That six times, or let's take the middle, let's take five times, is the same as taking one belly breath, a diaphragmatic breath. And the auto trainer, when you breathe in with resistance, you cannot pull the air in by using your chest. It automatically forces you to your, use your diaphragm, your core. And once you start breathing through your core, a whole new world will open because you can take up to five times more oxygen than you had before. All lung diseases are in the top part of your lungs because everybody, well, 95%, chest breathes. <laughs> Only high and top of the lungs. But once you learn how to diaphragmatically breathe using your core, it will change everything. It changes healing faster, your COVID faster. I had Leoto Machida. He has, he's doing it for five months, the auto trainer. He, he left a voice message. I'm going to ask him if I can play that voice message to people. He said, boss, I just came out of COVID. And four days later, I start training with my students who are fighting currently in organizations like the UFC. He says, I outworked them. I was in better shape than they were. This thing is crazy, he said. 
Well, I I, I have it in my hand. I, I forgive. To, uh, apology to the audience if you can hear me breathing. Because as you were talking, I was trying to chest breathe, belly breathe, and then I put in the O2 trainer. So I was doing it as you were talking. You know what I tell yeah. people? It's like Invisalign for your lungs because you change it, right? As your lungs get stronger, you just you swap it out. You swap out the, uh, what do you call it, the seals, I guess? Yeah, the, the caps. You know, you caps. go through a more the caps. You know, we train every muscle in the body. We all always think about that, but we forget our breathing muscles, you know? And, 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 and stamina, I tell people how stamina works. Uh, yeah, you train real hard. No, what happens? Why would you get better stamina? There's got to be a reason, right? You know what the reason is? The more you train a muscle over and over again, the more efficient it becomes. And efficient, it already says it. Once it becomes more efficient, it uses less oxygen. Thus, your stamina increases. Now, you can train every muscle in the body, but you can't work out your breathing muscles. You can make them endurance, but you can't strengthen them unless you have a device like the Ota Trainer that will train it. It's like breathing, uh, weight training for your breathing muscles. Today, I posted something this morning because it's something that Dr. Belize, I'm working with her right now. We're actually going to shoot a, a breathing course uh, the end of this month. And she had a really cool stat that I said. I said, imagine you have two brothers, the clones. They're identically, complete identical. They train with the same trainer. They do everything the same. And it doesn't matter. Let's go for a tri triathlon. They're going to work train for a tri triathlon. Now, one of them is not training his breathing muscles. And the other one is training his breathing muscles. Who do you think is going to win? And every, every doctor, every person, every scientist, they all tell you the guy with, who trains the breathing muscles. Because that's the first thing that's going to run out of gas. They're going to support your breathing muscles. That's why all the oxygen is leaving your body, your limbs. So just by saying that, people should wake up and say, hey, this is not a plug to sell this thing, but I guarantee you it's going to change your life. Well, look, my lungs were devastated by COVID and COVID pneumonia. So that's why I wanted to have you on because I wanted to plug this thing. I, I have it. And I didn't want you to give it to me. I, I, wanted to, I wanted to order it. I wanted to support this company. I ordered it. And I'm going to order one for my son and my brother who works in a, in a factory where they, they melt. I don't even know what it is they do. He's one of those guys that wears those iron, those, those, those suits that looks like he's going to the Mars. And oh, uh, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They, they pour like molten metal into another, you know, vat. And that pours into another vat. They make parts to equipment. I don't even know what you call it. But he has COPD, and I think it's probably from his job. My 12-year-old my, my who trains with me, he has asthma. So um, can kids do this? Is this, you know, how young would you start someone using a trainer? But, you know, kids start breathing. We all breathe correct when we come out, and we breathe correct till we're about five and a half years old. And, and, and what happens when you're five and a half years old? You become self-conscious. You, you see superheroes. You see athletes, and they all have six-packs. And, and the girls, the same thing. They see Barbie dolls. They're also super athletes and, and Wonder Woman, whatever they see. And they realize that, wait a minute, if I breathe through my belly, what I'm doing now, which is correct, people might think I'm fat. And that's how they start readjusting their breathing. Then, of course, school comes in play. You sit more. Then the doctor, you go to the doctor. You put the stethoscope on top of your chest. And he goes, oh, breathe in, breathe out. You go like, oh, that's where my lungs are. No, they're not that tough as they are. You know, they're much lower. So all these things combined will make you breathe the wrong. We're the only animal in the world that breathes incorrect just because of that reason. It's the wildest thing ever. So for him, yes, if he's already 12 years old and after five and a half, chances he's breathing wrong are, well, 95%. And he has asthma. Yeah, he has asthma. 
not serious, yep. but you know, it, it uh, pops back in at the most inconvenient times. You know, I was thinking the one martial art I, I've done that really does focus on breathing is Kyokushin. Yep. You know, Masuyama took breathing exercises. He, he thought they were very important. You see, he was a smart man. That was the next stuff. If you go to any endurance athlete, like pure endurance athlete, they, the, the runners, you know, Jack Daniels, and, and not to drink, but Jack Daniels is one of the most honored uh, uh, endurance athlete uh, coaches there is. And they will all say the same thing. As soon as they, they come in, they're students, they put them on a treadmill, and they see how they breathe. Because 95% of them was breathing wrong. If I was fighting a world title, and I was smoking people, and I was breathing wrong, chances you are doing exactly the same. If I'm watching fights, UFC, and every time I go, oh, man, he's wrong, he's wrong, she's wrong. That, I mean, it's just saying, and it can change you. But we as fighters, we think, oh, the more I fight, the better it is. No. If you fight more, you need more endurance. Guess how you're going to get that endurance? It takes four minutes a freaking day. Why don't you try it, you know? But they all stop. if they don't see results in 10 days, that's it. Every medical published journal that you see, a published medical journal, is at least six weeks. So use it six weeks. And I tell people, if you do it six weeks every day, and I've been doing it since May 2018. So it, this May, I've been doing it for four years, every single day. I might have missed 50, 5 zero due to traveling, but that's on the thousands I did, not a lot. But if you do it for six weeks straight, I don't think you're ever going to stop again because you will, you'll feel a huge difference. So, boss, I want to do it for a year straight and then have you on next year. And But what I want to <laughs> – no, I'm serious because I want to um, – I'm obsessed personality type, so I want to do this for a year. Now, what do I go to measure? When I go to my doctor and I say, hey, I want to – I'm going to do this O2 trainer for a year. I really want to be intentional on training my lungs. Um, you said you went to a doctor. What was that test they did on your lungs? Were they measuring? Oh, no, no, no. Oh, that was, that was the breathing lung. So she measured my chest. Okay. So the chest expansion, because the more you can expand your chest, the more air you can pull in your lungs. Now, your lungs are a set side. So let's say you have uh, two gallons. You cannot have more than two gallons. Never will have. But a lot of people are, because the chest breathing, they're not maximizing what they have. They can, make, they can up to five times get more oxygen by just simply breathing correctly. Now, once you start breathing those breathing muscles, now you can expand more. And once you can expand more, you can always use the maximum amount of your lungs to fill them with. You know, and that's the big difference. So that's expansion. A VO2 max, a lot of people are talking about it. That, that It doesn't do a lot for the VO2 max, but it does something better because it trains your breathing muscles. So your onset fatigue is going to be better. And you're going to be performing at a, at a higher pace, a higher workload for a longer period of time. And all these pluses that you have, which is in the first place why you want to have a high VO2 max, you will have that by simply training your breathing muscles. So you're going to be able to move more air in and out of your lungs at a high, higher pace. I just had an, another thing with high altitude. Does it help? Is it the same as high altitude? No. Every device out there that tells you it's the same as high altitude, they're lying. They cannot change your, you cannot get more red blood cells. Yeah. If you do the O2 trainer, because you're rebreathing a little bit carb, carbon dioxide, if you do it for six or eight hours straight, yeah, you will spark a red blood cell count. But it's, it's not like when you go to high altitude training. This is actually better. So what they did, they trained uh, two teams. One uh, with inspiratory muscle training, which is what the O2 trainer does. And the other team, they didn't. And I believe they had like 12% more oxygen in their bodies. All the people who did the inspiratory muscle training 
when they were training at high altitude than the others. So it will help for sure, but it's not the same. Got it. Well, I'm going to do this because there's a lot I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about Father. I promised you 60 minutes at the max. We're now an hour and a half. I want to talk to you about Father Rippiger, what he had to say about the um, uh, what you saw in your house, those spirits. Uh, I'd love to talk to you about that when you come back. Also, John Blooming, how well did you know him? He was a wild guy and a real pioneer. I don't think too many Americans know about, but was a real pioneer in martial arts. Uh, yeah. So there's yeah. there's a lot I'd, I'd love to talk to you about, but I, I took a lot of your time, boss. And I also want to thank you in those early weeks after the U.S. withdrawal, um, I would text you. And I was not I was working 24-hour days, and there was a Kyokushin champion that we were trying to get out of Afghanistan, and by God's grace, we did. And I would text you updates, and you were very encouraging. You would be really, and I know you're a busy guy, but you would always respond almost immediately with really thoughtful replies. And I, I really, I really appreciated that in those those really dark days and months and weeks as we first left Afghanistan. And that's actually when I, I don't know if you know this boss, I had COVID pneumonia the whole, like I think the day before we left Afghanistan is when I got pneumonia. And so for those first two weeks I was taking prednisone. I didn't, which was good. I think prednisone saved a lot of lives. I did not sleep for two weeks. Yeah. I just sat at my desk working, trying to rescue folks. Um, coughing, blood, not being able to breathe, and still paying the price for that. Um, so I'm looking forward to trying this O2 trainer and get my lungs back. Because at 50, we can't, I can't slack. I can't, I can't, I can't half-step it. No, you can absolutely not do it. You, you know, this um, research has shown that at the age of 29 is where your thoracic flexibility, so your chest flexibility, and your lung volume at its peak. So that's where you breathe the very best. And that's really great news, but also know that after the age of 30, unless you add breath work to your, your routine, like the other trainer, that number, the, the air that you move in and out of your body is going to decrease 100%. You can read any medical, published medical journal to that. I got all the proof. I got so many published medical journals because people, oh, this is not proven. Okay, here, boom, here you got nine. What about that? Read about it. You know, because it's 100% proven. 100%. It's not even a question. So being an athlete and not using your training, your breathing muscles, and think about this, what it does for anxiety and what it does for PTSD. You should read the reviews that I have from people. It's, it's like insane. I had no clue. It's the gift that keeps on giving. I mean, back problems are fixed now suddenly? How is that possible? And the doctor believes it goes, oh, it's very normal because the more you can spend, you are lining up your spine the whole time. I, all these things I didn't know, but people are just telling me, stingers, are using it now because the voices get louder and they can project better. And people on stage, I mean, the horn instruments. I have a review from the sax player from the Eagles. He says you can make longer and stronger notes. <laughs> it's insane. From the SAS. I don't know anybody from the SAS. Special Air Force Services over there. There's the badasses in England. Also, reviews, it's crazy, you know. And uh, it makes me feel good because now I'm literally, you know, yes, I do make money on it. And, and let's forget. I was 11 months sold out last year, almost killed the company. I had to get the second mortgage, mortgage everything just to keep the, the, the company going. So thankfully, we were finally selling again. But the biggest thing is to help the people with asthma and COPD and all these people who have defects. And now you hear anxiety that they're good. You know, how, how is that even possible? And it's all breathing because think about it. Once you get anxiety, you start just breathing. And then you're not pulling the amount of air in that your body really needs. Once you switch to belly breathing, now that's how you calm down. That's why before every 
you were in the military. What do they say before you go? Take a deep breath. Before you go into the hot situation, take a few deep breaths. That's how you calm yourself down. And now I know why. You know, because it stimulates the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve stimulates your heart rate. And it, it, it lowers your heart rate and your blood pressure. And that, that, of course, makes cortisol levels drop. You know, and that's why you get calm and relaxed. That's why all these badasses, they all know how to breathe. All of them. You know, and that sets them apart from other people. And if you have extreme athletes and warriors like SAS soldiers who are looking to this to improve their performance because their life or career depends upon it, just guys like me, um, you know, who want to be healthier so we can, you know, for me, for my New Year's resolution, I, I, I sit here and I said, okay, what's my job? It's to love God. It's to love my neighbor. And how do I do that better? And taking care of my health is, is a very important part of it, right? I, I allowed the past couple of months... I'm actually right now, boss, January 1st, I said I'm only going to drink water for 12 months. Why? Because I've been, I drank too much alcohol and too much caffeine this past year. I said, so yep. I got to reset my body. Why? Because I could tell, probably starting with the prednisone for the pneumonia, that I, I have, have adrenal fatigue. And I do have, a, you know, I hate to say it, it's embarrassing a little bit, but... um. The, what I've experienced in the, this, what we've been doing in Afghanistan is harder than what I witnessed on the ground in Iraq and, and Sudan uh, with my own eyes. Right. And when I was in, in country, just being here, yeah. almost uh, working with people and being helpless to save them, it's given me, I think, uh, you know, PTSD and definitely people around me. We had two people literally have breaks that we had to remove from the project because they, they couldn't take it anymore. So, um, but yep. the idea that breathing is linked to our nervous system and, and, and every other part of our mental well being is makes complete sense to me. And, um, yeah, yeah I'm it's looking, everything. Oh, I'm sorry, boss. I didn't mean to cut you off. It, it's everything. No, it's everything. It's a, you're right. Everything starts with breathing. Like I said, it, you, it's the first thing you do come, you go out of the womb, you take your first breath. You know, and that's how you die. You know, you let your last breath, and we and somehow we focus on the food and we focus on what we drink, and 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 we forget about the number one priority in the body because we all think, oh, it comes naturally. How you know how many people say to me, oh, you don't need to tell me how to breathe. I've been breathing since I was a baby. That's what they say, and I go, well, I I was breathing wrong. I was a professional athlete, so pretty sure. And there's tests out there, ninety-five percent breathe wrong. I mean, maybe you should listen to these tests, but that's how people are, you know. I don't even, uh, uh, I, I like with friends, a friend of mine came over uh, two days ago and he said, I want to know to trade. I say 50 bucks. And he looks at me and go, I put it in an envelope. And if you actually are using it and next month and I call you back and you use it, I'll give you your money back. Your name is on it. It's in my drawer. It's already done. And he says, why would you do that? I said, because from the over a hundred that I gave away, two people used it. That was Leota Machida and Rick Bassman is another guy, a cancer survivor who had, 65% from his lungs uh, cut away. He's doing it, and he feels like he never breathed, breathed better in his life. From the from the over 100 that I gave away to athletes and everybody, two of them use it. You know, and that's why I do this nowadays. Well, I'm going to um, – I ordered it. What's the book? There's a book that goes with it. We should, I'm going to put the link to the, OS, uh, the O2 Lung Trainer uh, in the show notes. It's O2LungTrainer.com. And I ordered the um, the O2 trainer, but I think I'm going to order the book. There's a book that you um, yeah, recommend. that's the Breathing for Warriors. That is that is Dr. Belisa Brennan. She wrote that, and 
good. She's a wealth of uh, information. I was actually on the phone with her two hours before we did this. Like I said, at the end of this month, we were shooting a, a breathing course because we found out that all the things that I did in the past with breathing, uh, it, it, I, I didn't know it was all about breathing, but they all relate to breathing. Like I stopped a, a fighter from expanding his chest. I came up with this move, the boss with the neck crank, I called it, but it's not a neck crank, it's a body crunch. And, and the people, all everybody was tapping. And they go, I want to fight with that, a professional fight. They said, what are you doing? I said, I stopped his chest from expanding. And he goes, yeah, what's that going to do? I was going to stop him from breathing. What about his lungs? Well, if his chest can't expand, he can't breathe. That's it. So he can hold that move for as long. If he just took a deep breath, that's how long he can hold this move. As soon as he exhales, he's not able to inhale anymore. And all these things that I was doing and to get myself in better shape, although I was breathing incorrect, it was all focusing on breathing. I would think I put people in the, in the minute break, let somebody lay on my belly. Because I knew it was going to be very hard for me to catch my breath, but it's that weight on your belly. You know, all these things I used to do in training, and now I know it's all because of breathing, your diaphragm. You know, the way I you, uh, uh, submission do, always leaning on the floating rib. Well, behind the floating rib, guess what's located there? The diaphragm, and that will ir uh, irritate people, and they can't breathe less, and it starts panicking them, and they start focusing on it. And while they're focusing, I go into a submission attempt. You see? So everything comes from that freaking breathing, man. It's insane. That's why. I'm so passionate about it the last time, uh, lately. You know, bosses, I'm listening to you talk about, like, breathing and the importance of breathing, and then I'm reflecting on it when you talked about your school, how, you know, it's not just for fighters, it's for families. I feel like we have rediscovered what, like, Jigaro Kano discovered in the 19th century. You know, the importance of breathing when we run martial arts schools, uh, the importance of being a place that everyone in the community can come to and train their whole life. Um, and it seems like something we might've lost over the past 20, 30, 40 years. And now we're finding again. I'm so, I'm, I'm so stoked that everything came together. I'm so happy that I'm back to the faith. I'm so happy that I know people who are really like a part of Ripiger. And these are people I can call for advice. I mean, this is the top level guys. I mean, Scott Hahn. I mean, you name it, you know. And it's all because, of course, Kevin is a great guy and he's got all these great connections. And if you surround yourself with people like that who really know the ins and outs about it, and, uh, you, I mean, there's no other way for you to change for the better. That's the thing, you know, for the better. And it, uh, it changed my life. But that's why I just want to keep continuing doing with it and never want to stop because it makes me feel good. And you're, yeah, you're running with the good crew and that keeps, you know, that's what, that's important, right? Who you surround yourself with and you can't 100%. go wrong when you're surrounded by people like father Ripiger and, uh, Kevin James and, and, and Scott Hahn and, uh, Leo Severino and Eduardo Verastegui and those, those wild guys. So we have this, uh, we've been doing this for years, like every morning, you know, we, uh, we have these pages, things that we do, sort of praise the auxiliary Christian norm from the Father Ripperger. That's for all evil. I do the daily readings and then we do a, a, a page from the Divine Intimacy. That's a really great book as well. And once we did all these prayers, we, we sent that to each other, like with a, like a check mark. Like we did it today, we did it today. This goes back years now. We put it, and, and we keep all, every one of us keep, keeps uh, us in, in check because we need, all need to see the check marks from all the other guys, you know? So every day that there's a text that's attached a whole bunch of guys to that text and everybody's doing the same thing. So, you know, that's a habit again, you know, you build a habit and we probably don't need it anymore, but we're still doing it because, you know, it's support. 
when you and you probably do need it, right? Because there, it just takes one day. I was with Eduardo in Sudan. We were going to Sudan, but we stopped in Kenya. And Eduardo, you know, was insistent on Eduardo Verastegui was insistent yep. on, um, you know, never missing a day of mass. And I, I, we were in Kenya, and it was just a rough day to get to mass. And our hosts, it was kind of a challenge for them to find a place for us to go. And I took Eduardo aside, and I said, "Brother, you know." Um, it's not a sin to miss yeah. mass today, but maybe it's a sin to to force these people to um, go out of their way to find a, a church for us. And he took me yeah. aside and he said, brother, you have a wife, you have children, you have, you know, a family. Um, I am a single man in this world. Like you do not want me to miss mass one day, not one yeah. day. And then I re, you know, he says that all depend. The first day I miss mass, everything will fall apart. And uh, yep. that really made an impression upon me. And I said, "Oh, sorry, brother. <laughs> sorry, front there. Okay, let's go." Oh, I love that, especially when you say "brother," because that's him, right? Oh, wait, brother, brother, yeah, front there. <laughs> no, and you know what? I realized if I was being honest, I probably wasn't uh, concerned about our hosts. I was just tired and I had the altitude was high and the pollution was bad and I didn't want to go in that traffic for 45 minutes and I was using hospitality, you know, brother, we, you know, I was, I was just using that probably as an excuse because I didn't want it to drive across town. Just look at you, but you're saying it on air. You're talking about it. <laughs> is this, is this live boss? I'll have to edit that out. I want, no, it's good. I want, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I want people to think I'm perfect. You know, yeah, no, no, no. They, they can never think that because then they have nothing to look up to. You know, if I'm going through my talks and I talk about what I did and the burglaries and the drugs and the women and the sex and the, whatever, you know, the more the merrier because they know, oh, he pulled back from a really dark place. Listen, I would always say, I'm to, to, to the father here, Father Jim from Marchos. He goes, why are you spending so much time? I said, because I was like St. Paul almost. <laughs> I said, okay, I wasn't prosecuting Christians, but I was. And I've never been a bad guy, but I did stupid stuff, you know, just stuff that you shouldn't do. And uh, and I'm so happy that I that's behind me. Praise God. Well, we're happy that it's behind you as well, boss. And uh, thank you for coming on the show. We will. Um, I want everyone who's listening. Do you know? Oh, I should mention this. Last episode, we th sold three thousand my pillows. Uh, I got an email from the company. They were just overjoyed. It was the show before Christmas, and oh, um, I love. And we love my pillow, and it's sleep is important, but bre breathing is important. So you have the Giza Dream sheets, you have the my pillow. We should get—I don't know if you'd be interested in this. We should get this in the my pillow store. I just think it's something that belongs there, with the the rest of the my pillow products, which are amazing, boss. I should send you the slippers. They're not like I'm from Hawaii. They're not Hawaiian kind slippers, but they're uh, these kind of like old men wear, you know. But they're so comfortable. They uh. You can wear them indoors and outdoors. I say it's like, it's like the Ritz Carlton on your feet. It's very, it's very decadent. I put these on and all of a sudden, you know, it's like, uh, oh my god, oh, I got one. Okay, boss, there's two things I noticed about your video. I, I made a note. I had to ask you. The video, two things I could tell. You're very European house, like very elegant. Your wife has very good taste. That's one thing I noticed about your kitchen. It was very European. Yeah, is that yeah, fair to say? Your, I, I could see your wife's. I could see your wife like in the teapot and the silverware and the <laughs> plates. I'm like, this is very European. And and then, then maybe this is a weird thing to end the show on. 
You take a <laughs> bath in your pool? <laughs> How crazy is that? I have a piece of soap, yeah. I jump, uh, you know, if you do this the entire year, okay. you get used to it. Like, okay. Uh, so even at 42 degrees, which is pretty freaking cold in the pool, I can't work out in a pool like that, you know? Yeah. But if you, I, I jump in, I get out, I wash, I soap myself up really well. I jump in and um, sometimes I jump, go back out and do the same thing. And then I feel good. And even before you go to sleep, you go, you, you would think that you will wake up, but somehow it, it, it helps you. It helps you wake up in the morning and it helps you go to sleep in the evening. Is it like the and inflammation? It helps with inflammation or what do you think? Yeah, I don't, I, I, it has to help for sure. But at the, if it's in the winter, like I said, if it's 42 or 44, it's really cold, you know, uh, especially in the evening. In the morning, it's okay because you're going to have to work or you go out. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it, you keep it short. And I think for inflammation to go down, I think it does something to the body. It will rush your blood. But for inflammation to go down, you need to be in it a little bit longer. All right. I think that's a strange place to end it. So maybe that's where we should end it, boss. Yeah, sounds good, my friend. All right, brother. I, I can't thank you enough, Boss Rutten. And um, what, what, the, what, you give the website one more time. We're going we're gonna... to... O2trainer.com. Go there. O2trainer.com. And if you do zero two, I got that domain too because I knew people were going to do that. Ah, that's probably what I, what I would do. Very clever. All right, Boss Rutten. Yeah. I, I have to end the show this way. Us. Us. All right. God bless you, brother. All right, man. Sounds good. Thanks, bud. Whew. You guys don't even know. Interviewing Boss Rutten for me, he is my hero of heroes. He was on my initial list of dream guests. And so my palms were a little sweaty. I made all these notes. I never prepared this much for an interview, and I, I think it was the worst interview I've ever done because I there was so much I wanted to ask him about. Um, and then selfishly, you know, I wanted to get in the O2 trainer because I am really committed to um, – I don't know if you guys have hobbies you really throw yourself into, but Muay Thai kickboxing is something I love. And, um, and Kyokushin, martial arts generally. And uh, getting COVID pneumonia really, really messed up my lungs. And I am still struggling when I work out. And so working on the O2 trainer was something that I really wanted to do. So I thought this would be a great opportunity to have Boss on the show and uh, talk to him about that. But he's just a fascinating guy. And something I really like about Boss is he had this conversion, but I wouldn't say it was a public conversion, but he wasn't quiet about it. He was just, you know, cool about it. Yeah, I'm Catholic. You know, he, he doesn't, um, you know, go around pointing at himself saying I'm a Catholic now, but he doesn't run from it, and he just kind of seamlessly blends in with who he is. And he also didn't lose his sense of humor. He's kind of got a wild sense of humor. So if you see him out there, he's kind of like – the same guy, you know, but Catholic now, if that makes any sense. And uh, But it was a privilege to have Boss on the show. We're probably going to do a show coming up on um, the Coal for Christmas campaign. Just a quick recap. Thousands of people received four months supply of food and coal for heat in Afghanistan Christmas week. Thousands of people. Some hiding in safe houses in Kabul, others in remote villages where they, when, when our team came upon them, they were starving and they were eating grass. And um, because of uh, the Vulnerable People Project's donors, and you know the largest source of our new donors this year, or last year, 
was the Jason Jones Show. So I just want to thank all of you who listen to the show and have gone on to thegreatcampaign.org and have become a donor. If you haven't, uh, if you're not a donor, uh, if you are, you know we've been hitting you hard. So I, I apologize for that, but I want to thank you. We've been asking a lot. We're like that nephew, right? That near-do-well nephew that's always asking for money. That's who we have been the past couple of months. But thanks to you, um, we uh, have been not only evacuating and resettling Afghans, but feeding, um, it, it will be thousands of families in the coming weeks, not just for a day or a week, but through the winter. And that's because of you. If you're not a donor, go to thegreatcampaign.org and become a monthly donor. And, and we have donors that do $2 a month, some that do $1,000 a month, but do what you want. Uh, if you look at what our mission is at thegreatcampaign.org, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know our mission, to stand with the most vulnerable people in the world during the most challenging times. And uh, the past several months, since August 13th, that's been the people of Afghanistan, the Christians and ethnic minorities, women, and those who fought alongside our men and women. Um, also, you want to get my pillow. Uh, my pillow was so excited how many pillows we sold leading up to Christmas. Uh, the, Christmas the episode before Christmas, I think we sold almost 3,000 pillows. So I know you are loving your my pillow, and the O2 is not, does not sponsor the show. Boss Rutten does not sponsor the show, but the O2 Trainer is amazing. And the website is O2LungTrainer.com, and we will have it in the show notes. Um, and do this with me. Now, not just those of you who are athletes, but I think all of us, as we are going into the very end, this is it, right? We're done. Omicron's going to be the end of it. But let's get our lungs, let's improve our breathing, and uh, have a safe and wonderful and beautiful 2022. This is going to be a great year, a beautiful year, right? Filled with love and laughter. Because last year was rough. Um, thank you for listening to this long and meandering conclusion. This has been another episode of The Jason Jones Show. This has been The Jason Jones Show. Powered by Mudhouse Media.